The following podcast is a part of RadioMisfits.com. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts... John and Steven. Thank you, it's Cabinated Comics, and I'm your host, John Clark. CBS had Star Trek Day this week with panels on every single series that has ever been made in Star Trek over the last 54 years. It was an interesting experience that combined the convention experience with uh, kind of an outreach press release, but it was different than DC fandom. It's hard to explain, and Elliot Serrano and I will get into it. Before that, we go down the rabbit hole for a while. So let's talk to Elliot. Uh, Tuesday, the weather got nice, so I slept with the window open for the first time, and I've felt like crap ever since then, which uh, these days is just a wonderful concoction of anxiety and rationalization of like, well, the pollen count is high, and it is September. Uh, but people die of this all the time. But I don't have a fever, but some people have, get positives with no fever. And then uh, I saw you had a beer, and I was like, you know, when, uh, when I was on my honeymoon in Dublin, which is a distant memory, uh, I got sick at Stonehenge when we were in England. And then I was real sick for like three days, like couldn't leave the hotel room. And then uh, got fed up with that in Dublin, went out to a pub, had like three pints of Guinness, and the next day felt great. It's the, the, there are magical properties in Dublin. Although I think you combine the Guinness with a trip to Stonehenge and, you know. Yeah, well, but I saw you open a PBR and. That's because I'm, I'm Poe. It's because I'm Poe. I can't afford, <laughs> I can't afford Guinness in a can. <laughs> you know, you're really poor when you say I can't afford an, any blank in, in a can. Right. Yeah. Nothing expensive comes in a can. Nope. And especially like when PBR is like it's almost the price of soda. You know, it comes up to like fifty cents a can when you get like the five. You know, you get the six pack or whatever. Yeah, PBR is PBR. I feel like I'm in a dive bar that's charging me a regular beer price for that just so I can hold the can. Yeah. And I I go along with it. Uh, You don't see that with Meisterbrow. Meisterbrow is. Do you have Meister Brow in the Midwest? Man, you know, you, you, you have to find the right place for it, but I have seen it. Yeah, Meister Brow is pretty good. They, my cousin Walker used to call it riot beer. He said you paid twelve yeah. ninety nine and you got a riot. Yeah, they, yeah. They used to fill I've up ca- cases in the Rite Aid and run them right onto the beach. In the, <laughs> in the shopping carts. Just steal the shopping carts. So that's how I knew Rite it was. Aid had shopping carts? Uh, no, not Rite Aid, ShopRite. Now I got to go back to like the 70s. Yes. There you go. Uh, But you convinced me to open a pint of Guinness and uh, put it in a symbiote glass, which as we all know, kills germs. Yeah, it's a, it's a venom fighting carnage. Yeah. I got this at uh, Dark Tower. I realized I didn't have enough glasses in my apartment when I was in Dark Tower Comics and I was like, yeah, certainly I'll pay $10 pint glass. There's like I got so like a John Byrne said, Wolverine and a Jose Luis Garcia Lopez Robin. Ooh, all worth it. Nice. My uh, my brother got me a Superman glass for Christmas. I think it's um a Ross Andrew. Could be wrong. Ooh. It's not a Kurt Swan. I know that. Um, and then there's um Ross Andrew is one of those artists where I feel like nobody cared about him while he was alive, and now. People talk about him like he's Starenko. People go, oh, Ross Andrew. Like he did Spider-Man and Superman for most yeah. of the 70s. And he did the first crossover, Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Superman crossover. But when I was a kid, no, nobody cared about Ross Andrew. Nobody ever talked about even his run on Spider-Man. The thing that kills me too, because he was incredibly versatile for, for what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, um, I wasn't a big fan of, I'll admit it, I was not a big fan of any Superman book that Kurt Swan was on. You okay. Know? 
his artwork just seemed too simplistic for me. Well, it was um, very much of the 50s. He was like, yeah. he was like, like Dick Sprang on Batman. He was the quintessential right. artist of that time. Once it wasn't that time anymore, it's kind of like when Ditko drew like Speedball in the 80s. Right, like, right. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. And if you didn't know what that name was connected to, you would have just dismissed it. But I look at Swan stuff now and I go, oh, I wish I could draw like that. The guy was, he was, he could do pretty much anything. I think, and now when I think about it, Kurt, my favorite Kurt Swan story has to be whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. You oh, the Alan Moore. Yeah. Alan Moore, where you're sitting there going, why is Kurt Swan doing this one? Because it's perfect. It was, you know, for folks who aren't aware that it was like the last Kurt Swan Superman story pre-crisis. It's, it's like the last pre-crisis story. Yeah. Yeah, because pre Crisis on Infinite Earths was um, in the midst of it, or had just about wrapped up, and they decided let's send off the the Silver Age Superman, you know, with a with a nice tribute, and um, and it's beautiful. It's like a it's a beautiful story, and, and the artwork is perfect for it. And and, I, and I, you know, I go, wow, as a kid, I didn't appreciate it. I appreciate it a lot more. Which like, but even like Ross Andrew, Ross Andrew is one of those. I liked him then. I like him now. It's, you know, he did have a certain sense of, of you know, where Kurt Swan didn't have a whole lot of um, energy, you know, his, yeah, his work was, was very good. It was, it's you know, very, very of that time. It's very polished, but it's, stacked. yes. And that's, yes. that's why Marvel got the edge was that guys like Kirby and Ditko weren't getting a lot of work at DC, but they could, they could pump out that energy. And that's what, that's what differentiated Marvel from DC. Right. And then, and you can always tell when uh, Dick Giordano was inking Ross Andrew. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody else ever. I've never seen anybody else inking Andrew artwork. And yeah, that, that um, that I gotta, Superman. I got to look at Spider Man because I can't see Giordano inking anything in Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, there could have been some others. I doubt yeah, like Ramita and Jim Mooney were like the go-to guys at maybe Giacoya did some of that. Yeah, stuff. yeah, I can see. I, yeah, you're right. I can see uh, Ramita too on on a on a. Andrew Spider-Man, um, but um, I'm thinking about yeah, you're right. That that's that first Superman Spider-Man crossover, which was the thing. I remember that was like it was the first time they'd ever done that. Yeah, and it was the two biggest characters yeah. uh, from Marvel and DC of the time. Mind you, now you know the biggest character at DC is Batman now, but back then it was you know, you know Batman well, was like a B-lister. You know? Batman was Batman was second tier because that was the the second crossover they did was Batman and the Hulk. Because yeah. those were Marvel's second most popular characters. Because the right. Bill Bixby show was on. It's probably the closest right. that the Hulk was in person uh, in popularity to, to Batman. Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then they did X-Men Teen Titans, which is just brilliant, where they just went, what if we did actually our most popular books and get Walt Simonson to draw it? I remember walking into the comic shop and seeing X-Men Teen Titans right there. And I'm, I'm going... And like, I had no idea that they were doing an X-Men Teen Titans crossover. Like this was back before, you know, before internet. And, you know, if you weren't seeing the ads in the comics or getting little right. bits, you know, little newsletters. There was just, previews, but no one saw it but retailers. Right. And they weren't and saying, saw. come back in three months and buy this. Yep. And, um, and going, holy crap. And it was like, you know, I, I, I grabbed it. I wasn't even, I think I didn't, there were a bunch of books I didn't buy that day because, I saw X-Men Titans. I saw, yeah, I saw it was Walt Simonson. Walt Simonson on art, Chris Claremont writing it, um, Dark Side and Dark Phoenix. You know, what, you know, I, it's still probably the greatest crossover um, they've done of his time outside of JLA Avengers. Yeah, JLA Avengers is pretty much the crisis of both universes. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know that they'll ever top that. I did really like the um, the Spider-Man Batman crossovers because uh, they were good. No, they Jim were very Mattis good. And Bagley did the first one, and then uh, Dixon and Graham Nolan did the second one. Oh, Graham Nolan drew the second one. Demattis wrote them. Demattis wrote them both. Yeah, he wrote them both. Ah. but I do remember Nolan, who I'm a huge fan of, mm -hmm. mind you, a, a tad disappointed. He yeah, you know Chuck Chuck Dixon and Graham Nolan have both been on this show, and I love them, but they're. There's uh, politically not where we are. I think that's the nicest way I can put anybody in 2020. I don't even care about the politics. I mean, I do care about the politics, but you know, they're they unfortunate 
you know, as much as I idolize them and I've had backs and back and forth with Chuck Dixon, who, you know, again, um, devil's advocate, his bet, the Batman um, Joker story he did with also with Graham oh, yeah. Nolan. I've got both the hardcover and the, the paperback of the, of the uh, graphic novel. Their whole run on detective is maybe my favorite Batman run ever. It is. Yeah. It's no, a it's lot, a lot of one shots, a lot of two shots, like yep. DC really should put that out in an omnibus, but. I'm, I'm surprised they haven't done uh, devil's advocate. That's like one of their greatest, one of the greatest Batman yeah. stories. I'm my like, copy is from stories. like 97. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think I've seen it in print in a long time. Yeah. I think uh, Chuck Dixon has commented about that. He doesn't understand why it's out there. And I'm sure that's why he, he kind of blames politics for, you know, him not doing any more DC work. But beyond that, you know, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I mean, politics aside, they, they, they don't handle criticism real well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I feel like nobody does anymore. Like everybody feels like it's their job to fight back. And it's like, oh, no, we used to argue to reach a compromise. And I feel like yeah, everybody's we, kind of getting to that point. Now we just argue to claim our space or air yeah. our grievances. Every day is Festivus and, and the airing of grievances. <laughs> Everyone coming to me has a metal pole. <laughs> and now it's time for feats of strength. <laughs> I heard a great, great, we'll, we'll get to our topic eventually. Um, I'm trying, it's my very resolution to stay on topic, but um, I was listening to Jason Alexander was on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. And he was saying how, uh, he loved working with Jerry Stiller. He was like, that was his favorite thing on Seinfeld was to do scenes with Jerry Stiller who played his dad. Uh, and he said his whole character came out of Jerry Stiller's frustration to remember lines. So, so when he would get enraged about nothing and pause, it's because he was forgetting the line. He'd be like, you mean there's not anything in he was beating himself up for not remembering Del Boca Vista, but it just kept adding more and more to that character. Del Boca Vista. You think you're going to keep me out of Del Boca Vista? It's such a Larry David name, Del Boca Vista. Yeah, God rest his soul. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the pre-COVID. So let's actually talk about what we're going to talk about. Um, this is the most in-depth we've jumped in. Usually it's five minutes of absolute bullshit. And you know, <laughs> we, we began this show arguing who inked Ross Andrew. Well, not arguing. You enlightened me because no, you're right. You do make a yeah, good point. I'm still trying Adriana to figure- would not have inked this Marvel stuff. Yeah. No, but I, I came to that conclusion because just, um, you know, the original Clone Saga was considered a joke and that's all Ross Andrew. And now people, people put that on such a pedestal that like, Whenever I see like the ten greatest Spider-Man artists, they put him next to McFarlane sometimes. Clone Saga is a great idea. It was just yeah. the execution of it, and well, they and it ran too fucking long. Well, the '90s one, yeah. I mean, even the '70s one was a little shaky, which is like it's like four issues of Gwen Stacy coming back. Yeah, Gwen Stacy and and the Jackal and yeah, and some weird stuff. Well, but yeah. it was which was fun. It was fun. But yeah. But Steven's been merciless with me because I've been. I've been transitioning from monthlies to hardcovers. So I've been trying to get, I have pretty much, thanks to Marvel, a full run of X-Men from the Silver Age to the end of the 90s because they've omnibused everything. So I'm trying to do that with Amazing Spider-Man and there were like four volumes of Clone Saga. And then finally one day on eBay, I was like, yeah, I need that. That's like three years of Amazing Spider-Man. It's the worst three years. (laughs) But anyway, that's how I definitely got got you off topic again. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I um, Bill Monroe, who's been on the show a lot, who's uh, one of my best friends in the world, um, always says the difference between he and I is he knows uh, a little about a lot, and I know a lot about a little. The thing is, in this podcast, all of that little is in this cylinder of a podcast, so I could go anywhere. <laughs> it's the lot I know about the little. We're not talking about anything outside of that. It's pretty impressive, though. A lot of wasted time. It's a lot of focused anxiety. <laughs> I've learned. I've learned that if I can control my knowledge of Spider-Man inkers, that's a part of my life that isn't chaos. <laughs> you know, you're not alone right now, my friend. There are a lot of us going through this. Uh, that, that's one of the things that's made this podcast more interesting. I, 
I haven't had a, a, a second person in the room in six months. Yeah. Um, but it's been cool to like just check in on people because those are most of the people we're talking to. That's the thing I've been learning a lot about doing this in quarantine is how many of us geeks are using it to cover uh, psychological and emotional issues because there wasn't a lot of medication in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> and it was like, well, I like this. All these people are very upset all the time. And then they fight each other. I'm you know, plenty of, I've got, I'm, I've been doing a lot of self-medicating, so don't worry about me. No, yeah, well, <laughs> with PBR. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, so I've been, um, uh, so one of the things that happened, I, this almost got like derailed because uh, Star Trek had their Star Trek day this week, um, which was really unique and really fun. And it was uh, handled in a very different way than the DC fandom. Although, um, and I was like, great, we'll talk about Star Trek Day. And I wanted to have you on because you and I both love Star Trek. Uh, and then this weekend, like DC had another fandom, but there was like, they re-released a bunch of panels. And then there was like news that was not news. And there was all this news thing that they, what they weren't going to do. I was like, Jim Lee's like, no, we're not rebooting the universe because we fired Dan DiDio, basically. Um, and they're like, we don't know if there's going to be a Harley Quinn season three. There's, there was a lot of that. So my head kind of got like all jumbled of like, wait, what is DC saying? What are they covering? And so I've had to kind of reset and go, oh yeah, Star Trek talked about a lot of stuff this week. So how much of the coverage did you get to see? I, I pretty much saw all the panels. Uh, okay. with the, I think at one point um, something screwy was happening with the feed for the um, classic, the, the original series with uh, mm. George Takei yeah. and uh, Rod Roddenberry. Yeah. Um, but um, I, saw, I saw all the panels. I was, you're right, it was, it was different. <clears throat> it was, um, well, you know what they were saying? It was, uh, the, the thing it made me think about was the, the uh, Democratic National Convention, where it mm. was, you know, very controlled, very, you know, very on message. Yeah. Um, the panels they had it was Will Wheaton and um, Mika uh, Burton. Uh, yeah, Burton's. Lavar Burton's daughter. And at one point, at one point, Lavar just stuck his head in in the middle of yeah. the Voyager panel, which is which was really cool. Uh, and as um, uh, Paris mentioned, he had directed a lot of Voyager, so they yep. it wasn't it, it felt like it was part of that. But he just kind of <laughs> stuck his head in and went ooh. Yeah, right. Anyway, he, he was moving so slow. I'm like, is Lavar sick? It's like <laughs> he's like, oh, it kind of looked like the last few interviews with Carl Reiner, oh, where it's like, man, he's really hanging <laughs> in there. Lavar's been doing the rounds. He's, I heard him on NPR not too long ago talking about uh, his a revival of um, the reading his podcast, his reading podcast. Yeah. So. Well, he um, was an yeah. he was an evangelist for the rebirth of reading rainbow and then he found out he wasn't making any money from it right so just you know do your own thing yeah um but uh yeah so again very good yeah will wheaton and mika burton they did um i, I you know as someone who has moderated a fair share of panels myself mm-hmm. i was really because you sit there and you go okay there are only so many questions you can ask you know you've heard them and especially a lot of these panels weren't announcing anything new. Like, right. I, I really appreciated that they gave every single series a panel. But really, there's only like three of them were saying that like, hey, we're coming out with a new season or we're coming out with this or, right. you know. <clears throat> yeah, it's like a, like a reunion in most of the, 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 the really nice ones was the Voyager one mm-hmm. <clears throat> was, you know, kind of like, yeah, it looked like a, it felt like a, like a class reunion. Um, the Discovery one was fun. You got a lot of stuff from the well, Discovery. They premiered the trailer, a new trailer, yeah. and they've rebooted that whole show. Yeah, and then they 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 delved a little bit into um, you know how it's going to be a little different and what's going on. Uh, they oh, I love the 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 cat uh, grudge. Yeah, cat. Uh, I thought oh, sweet. You know, but let's let's. You know what? I, I didn't realize that we had start. We, we haven't had a, a cat on a Star Trek show since um, Data's cat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, next gen. We had a dog on Enterprise. I think that was the last pet. Yeah, 
uh, Porthos, right? Yeah, yeah. Scott Bakula. Yeah, it was Archers. Yeah. And then um, the Enterprise panel was pretty nice too. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one where, again, so many times, you know, they, it, it wasn't like there was a whole lot of new um, road to cover, but they were, it was, you know, they were talking about the experiences. They really did dive into the experiences of working on the show. And the inter- giving Scott, Scott Bakula his props. Yeah, that, that, course. that really stunned me is that um, it reminded me that Scott Bakula is a television legend. Uh, I think the only other person I could put up against him is Ted Danson, where they are always on a show and they know exactly what to do on a show. And they made a couple of movies, but the movies <clears> never <throat> happened. So, so they just went back to television and they'll be on television until, until they die. Like I call Ted Danson and Mary Seabergen the king and queen of television because you, they'll be on a show that gets canceled. And then a week later, they'll be on another show. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting that they went out of their way to go like, he because a lot of them were pretty new they were like scott taught us how to stand on a set scott taught us how to talk to the crew like scott Bakula knows the job of being on television better that's why that's why he'll always have a job yeah because he he has such a great reputation they'll say you know scott Bakula's available we need somebody like him to fill this you know this leading role and he's he he's a he's a workman guy he's likable he can play and the he's role. good. I mean, not, he's yeah, always I mean, he's always good. Yeah, I mean now, I mean I'm trying to think. He's got what three three series under his belt now. He had a Quantum Leap, well, Quantum Enterprise, Leap. and now yeah. NCIS New Orleans. Yeah, but he's all, he's also had a lot of shows that came and went. I was a big fan of Men of a Certain Age. Yeah, no, that was, that was yeah. I would, that was I him consider and, Men of a Certain Age like a miniseries because it only they, ran for so many episodes. No, well, they did two seasons. They did two seasons okay. and they were canceled, but it was him, Ray Romano, and Andre Brower. I mean, yeah. and, um, but he is one of those guys where, like, you think they're gone and then you realize, oh, he's just been making this show that I don't watch. Right. So I don't, I don't know that he's been off television. No. But, but yeah, yeah, but people, he's a great guy. People like working with him. He's a stand-up guy. Something that you need in, in you know, in the business. So, the I'm, I'm, quite frankly, I'm really happy. I mean, I will say... Scott Bakula, upon when I met him um, years ago, mm-hmm. I was like, he did not disappoint. Class guy. Yeah. Class guy. Was that at a con? That was the, the, it was the infamous captain's panel that I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. He was the only one who said, hey, good job. Oh. <laughs> As the captains walked off stage. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the captains turned out to be a prickly bunch. <laughs> Hey, well, I had Scott Bakula, like, prickly, I, I ended up with two of the most prickly ones out of the three, you know. I don't see having the same issues like with Kate Mulgrew and, and Patrick Stewart, you know. Yeah, although I think with Kate Mulgrew, it all depends on what you want to talk about. Kate Mulgrew always seemed to be, if, if you mention something she's interested in, she'll just talk to you. And if right. you don't, she's just going right. to Wakanda forever you. I'm holding up my face. Yeah. Which is what struck me about the panels is that, you know, again, the way they were able to open it up and yeah. get everybody to open it up and kind of like keep it very balanced. Everyone, you know, whenever you have a, a live panel in front of an audience, so again, back to my experience, a lot of times you have like a list of questions you want to ask, but you're reading them, you're reading your guests and how they're reacting and responding. You're reading how the audience is responding to their questions and then you think, oh, okay, let's go down this way. Let's go down that way. You know, yeah. you, you do a little improv on the way. Um, but since there was really none of that, <clears throat> you could tell that it just really was, it went, it took a path and it really didn't deviate from it. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it was like the first half of a panel where it's like, yeah. okay, these are the things we want to talk about. Here's the direction we want to go. And then at a convention, the second half, let's open it up to questions from the audience. And that's such a, a scattershot. I remember the one year I did San Diego I was writing for figures.com. So I went to like, I went to something like 15 panels a day and you know, San Diego's like five days long. So I just started to feel the formula of it. And there's always, there's always at least two people that are getting up just because they want to be noticed by the people that were on TV and don't have a question. Um, you know, some people just want to know that the thing they thought were, was awesome, the people that made it also thought was awesome. Um, you never know what kind of question you're going to get. And I felt like truncating that part added to what you were saying of like they stayed on message. Right. 
And then, you know, <clears throat> and there was a little bit of that, though. You can tell that they were doing a little bit of, because like the, the panelists and, the, and the, the moderators knew there were no fans there. Yeah. So they did every, they always had a question about, okay, what did you think about the fans and the fans this mm-hmm. and the fans that? <clears throat> so that way, you know, the people who are watching can get, you know, right. you know oh, they're talking to me or, oh yeah, that's what what's happened with me and so on. So it, it was, yeah, I mean, for what, for what it was, and wow, like none of them went more than 20 minutes. They were all pretty, pretty quick. And they would have maybe like a couple of minutes in between yeah. panels. And, and, and come, but they did every, they did every, every show. They combined Next Generation and Picard into one just because they had both Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes there. And I'm not sure how they made their selections of who would be on and who, were, who wouldn't because everyone's home. But I did see Marina Sirtis tweet, thanks for remembering my email address. Because you, yeah. Ouch. You she know, was, she's been kind of saucy, though. She's lately. always After, saucy. That's, that's kind know, of her thing. Yeah, but she slapped down Lin-Manuel Miranda on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm like, seriously? Marina, all the people that go after Marina's, you know, Marina's your drunk aunt. That's Marina, <laughs> Marina just launches into a very opinionated story. And she's the kind of person where if you go, yeah, I really don't see it that way. She doesn't care that you don't see it. And she's like, no, no. Yeah. She wants yeah. to make her point. And I think that's funny. It's, it's fun because she's so 180 degrees from Troy. But after seeing her at conventions and stuff, I realized that's her persona is this character that's 180 degrees from Troy. It's like, right. I'm not going to, I'm not looking for compromise. I'm look, not looking for a well-rationalized argument. I'm go, I've got something to say. I'm like, where, why no Shatner? I mean, he's, where's he going? Yeah, well, that, that was interesting that the original series was only to K. In which, he's like the guy you call on all the time for Star Trek stuff. I remember when um, yeah. they were, um, I, I went to a screening of... Um, um, Wrath of Khan, and and it, we had a Q and A with him. No, I'm sorry, it was a, a undiscovered country and a okay. Q and A with him. After you know, he was there, and then there's a Q and A. I'm like, why is it? You know, you're not going to get. I thought Shatner. I think did one in Milwaukee though. Yeah, on. I think Shatner did a Wrath of Khan, but um, Takei's basically a cameo in Undiscovered Country. He's in the beginning. Yeah, he's like he's there in the very beginning, and then he's there at the end. He's like yeah. he bookends it. Yeah. But um, but you're there going okay. So if you want to call anybody to the, to talk about the original series right now, Takei's left. I mean, you're not. I mean, who? What? Koenig's still around. Yeah, Koenig's around. Shatner's around. Shat, Shatner and Michelle Nichols. Well, yeah. Although isn't she having? I think she was having some health problems. Or she right? was, but I haven't heard that her life is in danger. Right. But still, when you're having health problems, you don't want to be on Zoom. You know, everyone's going. Oh, yeah. Um. So. <clears throat> so I'm like, you know, it would have been nice to have Shatner on again. It would, you know, then see him and Takei together would be fun. Yeah, you know, it'd be fun for us. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, it was like it was Takei and Rod Roddenberry, who Rod Roddenberry also class guy. Yep, you Rod know, good guy runs the uh, these podcast network. Yeah, um, the Mission Log Podcast Network, which John Champion is on. John Champion's been on number of times I, I just love um so yeah but rod roddenberry does kind of have this newbie air to him he's not quite he doesn't he's like excited by star trek but he doesn't have a lot of deep deep knowledge and decay decay is great but i just heard decay on oh um i'm trying to think what podcast i just heard him on. i think it was david Tennant's podcast which i like david Tennant's a great personality he, personality not the greatest interviewer but decay is going to tell you about coming out he's going to tell you about his political activism he's going to tell you about the internment camps you're going to get those stories you right. know it's going to be a stretch to get something different out of decay right and you know he'll t- and yeah he'll talk a little bit about chatner and, and the mm-hmm. crew and all that but yeah but poor rod roddenberry is just sitting there you can, you can tell and that's the other thing when you're doing a con, uh, a con on Zoom where it's just going to be recorded endlessly and people can get stills, you got to make sure you're not you're not doing like a funny face that yeah. can be caught. You know, I was watching online. I was watching uh, the Bill and Ted face the music Comic Con panel, 
which um, is an extra on the digital download. Uh, and I love, I love that movie. So I wanted to see every extra on it. And it's, um, it's a panel that Kevin Smith moderated. And I, and it's a, I think people know well my feelings about Kevin Smith, but I will say this nine and a half minutes before anyone else speaks. Oh, geez. starts out with a lengthy story about Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> um, but this, so, so, and he has the whole cast. Like right. there's something like eight windows up and you can see they're all actors except for Ed Solomon, but they're all like making sure they know where their light is <laughs> yeah. and, and listening. And, you know, especially the, the two girls that play the daughters. Uh, have you seen Bill and Ted face music yet? I have not seen it yet. I've been it's, to... it's so worth the money. I paid well, I, I paid the twenty five bucks on iTunes. I'm so glad I own it. Well, Google, Google I was I, I was gonna go Google um movies and TV has the, the triple pack. You get Bill and Ted's uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and Bill and Ted Face the Music for thirty bucks. That's like 10 Yeah, bucks. you should do it. Films. Yeah, I'd already bought the. I bought the first two. I think they, when they popped up for like five bucks, they hold up really well, except for the CG. Yeah. <laughs> the CG is abominable. It was like I was watching. Uh, Sebastian had never seen Labyrinth, so we we so we put on Labyrinth yesterday, and everything holds up except for the fucking CG owl. That is the entire opening <laughs> credits of like of George Lucas going, "Look at my owl." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucas? Lucas is an executive producer on that. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought because I knew it was wasn't it Henson the Henson studio. Yeah, Henson directed. This is one of the things I love about Labyrinth is that it is produced by Lucas, directed by Henson, written by Terry Jones of Monty Python, and starring David Bowie, who wrote all the songs. And at any given moment, it's a hundred percent one of those four people. It like it just keeps doing hard lefts and hard rights on or like two <laughs> two Muppets do a Monty Python sketch and then David Bowie just shows up and sings with his impressive package. Oh my god, David Bowie sings all of his dialogue like an old Elvis movie. He's like, "Turn oh. back, Sarah, before it's too late." You and a really young Jennifer Connelly. Right? Really young. She's like fourteen. Yeah. yeah, it's a it it's a great movie that holds up pretty well. I've never seen it from beginning to end. Oh, he's, yeah. it, it, I'll tell you the last 45 minutes are slower than the first hour, but the first hour is great. The, there are scenes in the first half an hour, which are literally Muppets doing Monty Python sketches to Jennifer Connelly. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll try to find it somewhere. It's, it's gotta be streaming something. That's another thing I bought, but getting back to Star Trek, <laughs> um, I did really like the feeling of positivity that ran through. As you said, they were on message. There wasn't a lot of news to cover, but I thought they did an excellent job of having a different perspective for every show. And that perspective has shifted. The Enterprise one really caught me by surprise because I, I've been sitting here getting older and not realizing that Enterprise is 20 years old. So they were talking about this show as a nostalgia, as a, something that happened in the moment. And I'm like, and still in my brain, I'm like, no, it's the new show. It's the, it's, it's the soft reboot show, isn't it? But there have been 20 years and now three series, four coming since. And it's, it's so a part of that. And it, it had that, it's funny because it had that middle child feeling. Whereas Deep Space Nine used to have the middle child feeling. And now Deep Space Nine has been like the underdog hometown hero. Where they were like, yeah, nobody liked us when we were on. But then Netflix, everybody decide, everybody realized how good we were. And you're right. And they're all like, you're right. God damn it. We are as good as the next generation. And you could see that that 20 years of them being at the back of the autograph run. Like people coming up to Armin Schirman to talk about his one Seinfeld appearance. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, uh, I mean, I'm watching this and I, I'm very, as a Kate Mulgrew made a reference uh, during the Voyager um, panel about the pressure that was on her when they started the show. And she's saying, yeah, and there's all this, God, then, you know, the, 
the Paramount guys were there, you know, the, 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 the tradition crews there, and then the UPN guys were there. Remember UPN? They, you were, know? they launched the network with Voyager. With, with Voyager. And so there was this huge thing. And, and I, I don't know, how, I mean, I know like either, I don't know who's having the sh- exhibiting the short memories, whether it's the, the, the cast of these shows who are either short memories or being diplomatic about it, mm-hmm. or fans who definitely have short memories. Because I remember that whole sequence of events when um, Next Generation was going off the air. It's going into movies. Going into movies. And, and Deep Space Nine was, the, was holding on there. And, and the, the production like Ira Bear and uh, Brandon Braga and all them, they were saying, look, if you want anything that was, you know, of next generation quality, that's going to be Deep Space Nine. When you go to Deep, when you watch Deep Space Nine, that's the next generation, you know, you, you're looking for the next generation style. Yeah. Voyager was going to be its own thing. Voyager Deep Space was Nine was very much like watching Justice League Unlimited after you had been watching Batman the Animated Series. Right. Of like, it's clearly the same world, but we're going to go into this other place. We're going to push it a lot harder right. than we used to. Which right. is one of the reasons I love that show so much. You, you're one of the folks who loved it. Yeah, but you're right. But Deep Space Nine had a hell of a time just holding on and yeah. getting outside of that core, you know, fan base. Whereas then I, I always think about Voyager as the John Cena of Star Trek <laughs> franchises. Please it, go on. Yes, they were pushing Voyager. UPN was pushing it. They were even talking about how the Voyager crew would be the crew that takes over the films when the next generation crew is done with the movies. And, and I think a lot of people resented that. There were a lot of folks who resented that it was, again, it was one, we love next generation. We're not going to love you. You're not going to make me, hey, you're not my dad. I'm not going to love you like my dad, Right. And, um, and oh, there are these Deep Space Nine folks who are like, hey, why, why are you completely ignoring them? Why is it all Voyager? And then, and then you have the Voyager fans themselves who are saying, hey, this is a progressive show, you know, uh, first female captain of a franchise, da, da, da. And it just split fandom all over the place. Yeah. Which, which is why, you know, I, don't, I think it never really reached that level like it could have. Now, I was talking with, um, when John Champion was up last on the show a few months ago, uh, we were talking about how looking back over the entire franchise, um, people look at Star Trek as this big, like Star Wars, like monolith of this huge franchise and everything's pretty successful and fans love everything. But when you really start to break it down, you realize no, next generation was the lightning in the bottle. Like the original, se- the original series, you know, as everyone knows, failed in broadcast and then built a following on syndication. And then the movies did well but none of those movies were gigantic hits. They were all mid-level. None of them were Star Wars. They were all like, um, God, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking of other 80s franchises and most, most ones that were under Star Wars were bombs. Cause I'm like, I'm like, they were more like Dune. No, they weren't as, <laughs> they were more like How of the Duck. No, they weren't How of the Duck. They, they absolutely held this midpoint where like Blade did 10 years later. Of like the people that loved it came out to see it and it was enough to keep it going. But Next Generation was the was actually the really big show. And then every show afterward after it was penalized for not being next generation. Even though the original show wasn't next generation in terms of popularity. Yeah. And and and, and again, you know, I think there's a very there's a very short memories among many Star Trek fans who also now will point to Deep Space Nine and Voyager and all those as, as evidence that they don't know what they're doing on Discovery. They don't know what they're doing on Picard. They, they would never do that in Star Trek. What they're doing on Discovery and Picard now, that's, that's against everything that Star Trek stands for. I'm like, what? You know, everything that people bitch about on Discovery, there's so much fighting. Uh, did you watch? you know, Next Generation when they were fighting the Borg or yeah. Deep Space Nine when they were dealing with the, with the um, Dominion. I mean, they, invent, they invented Klingon weapons for that show. They were like, no, the knives got to be bigger and curvier <laughs> and, and take up a wall. <laughs> 
And even even the original Star Trek, you uh, know. Original, yeah, original Star Trek, everyone is screaming except Spock. Mm-hmm. Well, it's about diplomacy. You're supposed to go in there and 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 and, and talk to alien races. Not, did you see a taste of Armageddon when this 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 civilization essentially abolishes war? They get rid of war. They, they, they clean it up. They no longer have war. Just, it's, it's all by computer algorithm. And then and if you, Kirk shoots all the computers. Yeah, you know, no. If you're going to have a war, it's got to be bloody. It's gotta, you got to think it's, 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 it's bad. you got to know that war is hell. And what happened to the Prime Directive? <laughs> and he's like blasting everything. Why? Because he doesn't want the girl that he likes to walk herself into one of those incinerators like yeah. she was supposed to. The girl he will forget by next week. Yes, by the next episode, correct. So yeah. I, it, just, it, it just amuses me. It amuses me. How- it amuses me too because they, uh, I, I happen to love all the new shows. Discovery, Discovery's tough because Discovery is a different show every season. Like that, the first season was very plot-driven and I didn't care about any of the characters. The second season got into the characters and I started to like them and basically became um, Star Trek Brave New World season zero. And I'm very excited about Brave New Worlds. Uh, Picard, I just love. Picard, Picard, I feel like, is the sequel we should have gotten instead of half of those movies. Like, if you could have given me Generations, because that's a transition point, First Contact, and then Picard, I'd be very happy. Uh, I love the kind of things they're doing. And I really enjoy Brave New World. Um, Lower Decks. I love Lower Decks. I love the fact that Lower Decks is playing with Star Trek while still being Star Trek. Although there are a lot of folks who, you know, you have some Star Trek fans who are cheese about Lower Decks. Yeah, they're very mad about it. And they're mad, yeah. at, they're mad about it just being a comedy. But uh, Wait, they, I thought they, Mike McMahon, who was a Rick and Morty writer, and by the way, is the only way I have gotten my boys to watch Star Trek every week. Because no one li- no one in my family likes Star Trek. And I'm like, well, this is Rick and Morty Star Trek. And they are glued to it. And they love it. And be- from the osmosis of me trying to get all of the other shows on them, when a Borg or a Klingon or a transporter malfunction happens, they know what it is. And they know why it's funny. I'm, uh, yeah. I'm, to me, I mean, because it's funny. I'll turn on like any episode of Rick and Morty and as someone who doesn't really watch Rick and Morty, um, I'll still, th- I'll go, Oh, that was, that's pretty funny. That, that was pretty brilliant. Okay. That's, that's, that's pretty good. That works. But that's Star Trek Lower Decks. While I don't dislike it, it, the, the jokes for me are, are still too uneven and really hit and miss. Yeah. And, and, you know, but- I can tell because a big part of it is, you know, Mike McMahon, mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't, he, he's still trying to be reverent to Star Trek. He doesn't want to like completely, you know, take it, take it off the, you know, take off the, the, the emergency brakes and just, you know, let that sucker loose. Yeah. Um, so there, there's there some bits that, eh, he's, he's, he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. But what really makes me like it is that when quarantine hit and uh, we all thought it was going to be a month, I said, what am I going to do with this month at home? And um, I decided to watch The Orville on Hulu. I am not a Seth MacFarlane fan. I don't think Family Guy is funny. I think um, I, I, I tend to find his humor very, very smug, very bro, very topical reference heavy. But I was like, you know what? People that love Next Generation love The Orville. I'll watch The Orville. And I thought it was okay. And I, uh, I know it's coming back on Hulu, and I'll probably watch when it comes back, but I don't care. Um, it's, don't let me get off topic with this, but it's kind of how I feel about Umbrella Academy now, where everybody was telling me, watch the Umbrella Academy. It's so good, so good, so good. And I'm in season two of the Umbrella Academy, but I'm a guy that's also watching Doom Patrol and the boys. And I'm like, yeah, there's other shows doing this kind of thing better. And I feel like when Lower Decks came out, it was like he, it was like Mike McMahon was saying to, Seth MacFarlane, no, you want to do Star Trek as a comedy? This is how you do Star Trek as a comedy. Because I feel like the Orville is trying, is doing the same thing. It's trying to be this loving tribute, but then when it does a joke, it just breaks it. Where like, somebody just does this bro joke, and I'm, and I'm like, would they even have those things in that time period? Whereas Lower Decks, it's always kind of 
tied into something that canon has established while not being a litany of Easter eggs. But I love that the Cerritos is one of the shitty ships. <laughs> like uh, my, um, the boys in my favorite moment of the opening sequences now, when you see all the Borg attacking and the, yeah. Cerritos, the Cerritos pulls in and I did not notice this for a couple of episodes. The Cerritos pulls in as the only Federation ship. It's all Romulans for some reason. Yeah. Romulans are fighting the Borg. It pulls in, it gets shot at once, and it just leaves. It just goes <laughs> like, nope. And it took me two episodes to realize, oh, there are no other Starfleets. This fucks them so hard. that I like that they're, they're one of those ships that blows up at the beginning of a Next Generation episode. Well, to, I was like, that made me think that that's the Romulan ship that the, I mean, sorry, that's the Borg cube that the Romulans have in Picard. Yeah. It, you know, it's like, they were making like a, a, a like they were making this nice little connection that the Cerritos was there at that particular fight where now that particular cube is we see in another show. I hadn't thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense to me that I could see them pitching the joke of like, oh yeah, the Cerritos is going to help the Borg and then it runs away. And then somebody in the room was like, you know, the Romulans have a Borg. What if all the other ships were Romulan? And they were like, yeah, the joke works just as well. There. Yeah, so, but. yeah they, they, you can tell. Yeah, he, they put all those nice. They put all those cute little bits. I, and any anytime you throw in a Chief O'Brien reference, yeah, you, know, you got me there at least. So. I was disappointed not to see Comini in the in the Deep Space Nine panel. Yeah, uh, it, there were a part? lot of them were there. Yeah, I know they were all of almost all of them were there. Yeah, well, Avery Brooks he, wasn't. And uh, we all know Avery Brooks is Avery Brooks. Uh, no, but Comini was not there. I noticed that. Yeah, um, yeah no, Avery Brooks is, you know. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, no, but but the, the, the folks, I'm surprised that they didn't, um, uh, you know what? That, not that I realized uh, Jerry Ryan wasn't on any of the, she didn't show I noticed up that Voyager. she wasn't, I noticed that she wasn't part of Voyager and I'm like, well, maybe she'll show up in Picard. And then it was just Patrick Stewart and Jonathan Frakes. So, you know, usually you chalk it up to people's schedules, but everybody's fucking home. Like people are just starting to show up on set now. Yeah. So I don't, like I don't they, know if it's a matter of busy or like, and it certainly didn't seem to be a matter of number because some panels had like six people and some panels had two people. Right. Well, when you get to the like when you get to the Picard one, let's be honest. Who, who do you want to hear? If you if you had a choice between the whole cast or just Jonathan Frakes and Patrick Stewart, yeah. Moderated by, by Will Wheaton of all, all ball folks. Well, I noticed they, they made a clear distinction. Will Wheaton and um, LeVar Burton's daughter uh, alternated, but they, also, they, but they alternated new and old and new and old. So they gave Will Wheaton all of the classic Trek stuff. Right. Because he was on Next Generation, so he has that background, and they gave LeVar Burton's daughter Brave New World, which hasn't premiered, and Discovery and Lower Decks. Like, she's... She was clearly set up to be the new wave, like this. Hey, here's the young girl that's going to talk about the new shows. And she was good. I'm, she, I'm was good. Say yeah. she was good. I mean, I'm, I'm, some of her stuff felt very scripted, but there were some bits where you know, look at she was. They, they had fun. She was engaging. Um, um, again, I really liked a lot of the, a lot of the questions she got. You could tell too because she was who she was. A lot of the actors are like, they felt real comfortable just being very yep. candid about stuff. Yeah, and the same you know? thing with Will Wheaton, where like, even in the Picard one, where Patrick Stewart was like, well, we're so proud of you. Look at the great job you're doing. Um, and it got and we'll, really emotional there at one point. They're really, they're as close-knit, I think, as we think they are. You know, and, and Will Wheaton is a fantastic individual, like one of the best... Uh, talk about it many times. What, the first Joko cruise I was on. The second one, uh, he decided not to go on because of COVID. <laughs> and you know the world shut down while we were on the boat, while we were floating out on the ocean with Liz Fair. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I ran into Will one morning and I got into, I just fell into a conversation with him. He's the most nicest, genuine, engaged person. Like you know, I I have a hard time at big conventions. And I always get really excited for them. And then I always start to feel like real tight. And it's, um, it's this feeling is that, that am I, uh, you know, you and I have had similar career tracks. I like to say that you're more successful. Um, you like to def refute that. 
but we <laughs> we've both been on both sides of the table. What is successful? What is, what is See, successful? there's your refusion. <laughs> I don't even care. The refusion is not a word. Uh, I've done five comics. You've done like twenty. Oh, and one comic book, which, by the way, uh, predicted the 2016 election. Yes. Nice. Sorry. So it's your fault. I know. I kind of, I remember when it all went down, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I, I predicted this. Yeah. I thought I was making a joke. <laughs> but I always have these trouble when I go to conventions as a fan. I, I made myself a decree, which I have not been able to follow, was that the first time I was on the other side of the table, which is like 95. I said, hey, I made it. That's it. I'm on this side of the table now. I will never pay to go to a convention again. And every, every time I get a fan pass, I feel like I'm eating my own shit. <laughs> and I feel like I'm just, I'm just broadcasting my <laughs> failure to McCormick Place. <laughs> Where are you? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Why are you getting press passes up the wazoo? You have the credentials. I haven't gotten a press pass in a long time. I used to steal retailer passes from Steven, but now he doesn't even own a store. Yeah, me, I'm surprised I still get, I get press passes all the time. I mean, I don't even get, I'll get a pro pass from time to time, you know, but yeah. it's like, but these days, like if you apply for certain shows, you have to get, you have to like tell them what was your, your, your most recent work. And that, that most recent work is Keeps receding and, and receding. Yeah, that's like the, uh, I'm going to show you this on the camera. It's my one advertising award, which every year the year gets older and older oh, wow. and older. <laughs> um, I was very proud of it when I had it, and it's still we're not going here. But it's like for those for those folks point. who can't. I was say for those folks who can't see it because this is a podcast. Mm -hmm. Let's just say it's been a while. It's 2010. <laughs> I'll just say that. Um. Yeah, yeah. So I always, I always feel like weirdly inadequate, um, or and even on the cruise where I go with Bill, and Bill's very happy to be a fan. There's, there's still that voice in my head that goes, "Well, why not? Why aren't I on the stage? Why? What did I? How did I fuck up where I'm in the audience and not on the stage?" And when I met Will Wheaton, that wasn't there at all. So he's a guy that like I've always liked as a performer, um, and now I really like him as a person. I mean, for me, it's like yeah, I've, I've done the two. I've done the bit where I've been a moderator. Yeah, I've also done the bit when I've I've been this been one of the panelists that talked about something. Yeah, and and I've also watched panels of fan. And I mean, you know, to me, I'm, I'll be honest. There are times, I'm, quite frankly, I just prefer being the fan. You know, Takes no pressure. pressure, no pressure. You know, um, no one's. You know, you're not going to say anything that just gonna you can end up it's gonna end up on YouTube later. People <laughs> talk about and say shit about. You are um, at the point now where I've only moderated a couple of panels and I've been on, I don't know, not many more than that, but it's in, it's, it's within the single digits and it's something I, I enjoy doing, but you have done enough panels where you, where you immediately remember the bad panels. Well, it's just, and it's, it's when you get the big ones, like the really big ones. Yeah. Cause I would always sit there and I'd go, Oh, you know, I saw that panel and man, I, I would have done that differently. I totally would have done that differently because you know, that's like, it's just a, such a milk toast panel. Yeah. And, th and then I, when I get a chance to do it, I realize, okay, this is why more, most panels are milk toast because you have to do them very safe. You have to um, make sure, you know, you, that, that it's always about, you know, the guests, which it should be. Right. Um, and, but the, the problem though, is if you end up with a guest that's not feeling it and like, they're just there because they feel like they need to be there. You're, you're pretty much screwed. Hence the 24 panel I did at C2E2 a few years ago when, when most of that cast with the exception of one were like, were acting like the moment I said, so the, and this was when the new um, 24 mini uh, was coming out. The reboot. Yeah. So were any of you guys asked to be, uh, be in it? No, no, uh... no. And then that was it. Boom. And then it was like, okay, I guess we're not talking 24 now. They didn't want to talk about it. So what's left, you know? And then I said, okay, what are you guys up to then? You know? And then I'm not going to name names. I don't know. So one of the panelists said, oh, so I guess you didn't do your research, huh? Oh, and I'm man. like, I got guys, I go, I, I, there are things we can talk about. I'm saying, but this is your panel. Is this for you to talk about anything you guys want to talk about? Go on ahead. And one guy took it up and started talking about his business where he was making pizza ovens. Okay. Which was actually fun. That's interesting. 
Yeah, the audience liked it because it's like, you know, oh, and he's talking about it, it was fun. And everybody else is like being, being kind of dicks. So, so that's why I'm like, that's why I'm, I'm to the point where I don't even know if I want to be on stage for these things anymore because so much can go wrong. Well, I don't know that there's going to be a stage anymore. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he, as I said, DC did another fandom. This is like the fourth convention we've had online, completely online. You know, to me, and I, I kind of, I mean, yeah, I would, I don't mind it so much, but it's, there is something missing from it being just a Zoom panel. You know, there, yeah. without having that audience there, like, cause I would, I loved it when San Diego Comic-Con would live stream some of their bigger panels, like a Doctor Who panel or right. a, yeah, or the, the Picard panel or anything. And you'd see them go up on stage and da, 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 you know, when, um, Star Wars Celebration uh, streamed all their big panels. Yep. When they were in Chicago. That, my favorite moment of Star Trek Celebration, I've been saying this for the last year, is when they, uh, do you remember when they announced Billy D. Williams in Rise of Skywalker? Yep. And he came out in a cane and it was a really wide stage. Mm -hmm. But with every step, he just kept going, sweet. Sweet. Because <laughs> he was drinking in that applause. I don't even know if he was singing it to the audience. He just kept going, sweet. sweet. And now that is my only Billy D. Williams impression. <laughs> I used well, you to say. You, you got Want to make some money? No, see, my, my Billy D. Williams impression was always, we're going to bring the law on this nest of vipers and bring peace to Gotham. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a more fun place to go than Empire Strikes Back, which is, and my Empire Strikes Back go-to is you got a lot of guts coming here after what you pulled. But now, about, uh, now it's just sweet. Sweet. <laughs> I'm trying to remember what he said in Nighthawks. Mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't remember Nighthawks. I just remember that it was made. I remember I watched it not, not recently, but also not that long ago. And I remember going, Wow. Billy Dee Williams is like everything until like a certain point, and then he's relegated to the background. It's like he just—he's not even the sidekick; he's like a background character in that movie. Yep. Oh, weird. Yeah, and it just became a Stallone film. It just got weird after a while. You can tell. I think Stallone started getting a little, um, like started taking over. And I heard a lot of stories about Stallone like that. I think when um, Unspooled, which is a podcast I love, that did all the AFIs when they talked about Rocky. There was a lot of talk about like Stallone just kind of going crazy. I mean, like if you want to point to, I think if you want to point to the Nadir of Stallone being Stallone, it's Judge Dredd. Because like he Ugh. plays a character that never takes off his helmet and he never puts it on. Carl Urban never took it off. And that's the Dredd I watch. Right. Well, Carl Urban's like a chameleon too. He can, you know, do a lot of everything. I was just thinking about this watching The Boys, and now The Boys has like a, a talking The Boys show with Aisha Tyler. Um, and he was on it, and I was just, and I realized we need to get Carl Urban in a Star Wars movie because it's the only thing left. He has been in a Star Wars movie, he was in The Rise of Skywalker. I don't remember Carl Urban in Rise of Skywalker. But you know, it was one of them secret cameos. He was a stormtrooper. I didn't know that. I knew about the Daniel yeah. Craig in Force Awakens. Well, then I'm done because he did Thor Ragnarok. He did yep. Lord of the Rings. He did. Yep. He was Bones in Star Trek. Yep. He did Judge Dredd. Now he's doing The Boys. Yeah, he's done. It. He's been everywhere. He's done it all. Yeah, he's like the Johnny Cash song. Yeah, but yeah, that's what uh, I read it recently. Um, he was on the set, and because he knew JJ, you know, was doing it, and. It, and, um, you know, all of JJ's friends. Yeah. You know, so he showed up, wanted to check things out. And JJ said, it was like for a day. He goes, hey, you want to want to be a stormtrooper? Carl Irwin was like, fuck yeah. And he, they suited him up and boom, he had a line. One line, boom, and it was done. Yeah, that's why Simon Pegg is in, uh, he's in a big alien suit in Force Awakens. Yeah, he's, he's uh, um, um, I forgot the guy's name. Wow. Four portions. Yes. Yes, and then there's um, the one guy that always bugs me, the guy that was in Heroes, who's like clearly J.J. Abrams' friend because he plays an X-Wing pilot in Force Awakens. He is not in Last of the Jedi, and then he plays an X-Wing pilot in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, yeah, uh, Greg, like, yeah, Grim 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 yeah Greg Grimberg. Greg's yeah, yeah. Who, who, like said, who said, do not kill me. He said J.J. Uh, Abrams apparently was going to kill him in The Force Awakens, and he said, no, you're not going to kill me. I do not want to die in this movie. I want to keep going. Kills him in, in the, kills him in Rise of Skywalker. Oh, oh, yeah. snap, Wexley! Poor <laughs> snap. 
Yeah, I did not. I I had no idea Carl Urban was in. I knew Mark Hamill plays like three roles in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, he's he does some voices. Yeah, yeah. Does. There there's clearly a Joker voice who's the one that's like win the war. Yep. Then he and he does some of the characters in Maz Kanata's. Um, yeah. Maz Kanata's thing in them, um, Force Awakens. Yeah. So how are you feeling about Star Trek moving forward with these panels? Like, what was your takeaway from Star Trek then? Well, you know, it's like it's. My my takeaway is I think hey it's pretty cool you know um I oh wait well before I forget because I did want to I did have my one nitpick kind of annoyed me go ahead I thought that start the Star Trek panels and everything were going to take place on CBS All Access I thought that too because I I I'm glad you brought this up because it was like it was like Monday or Tuesday it was a work day and I was like okay and uh, actually it was the first day I started feeling sick. And I didn't want to get out of bed. And I was like, well, I'll put this on CBS All Access and then I'll just work on my computer because I'm not going to take a sick day. And then I ended up running two tabs and I'm like, everything you're talking, every panel ended with, and this is all on CBS All Access. Yeah. And I'm like, I have I no thought, idea. Yeah. It was, on Star, well, it was on StarTrek.com, which is great. Right. And I think it was fair to folks who don't have CBS All Access. So but you could have done both. You could have done both. Exactly. Yeah. I, it would have been nice to see it. So that, that way, because then what I had to do was used by Chromecast to cast it from my um, tablet onto the television. And then mm-hmm. that's when I started running into these lag issues. Oh, there you go. Yeah, all I did was I kept uh, a tab up with a browser and I would look at it and I'd be like, all right, it's gonna be talking heads for the next half an hour. So then I just like minimized well, that tab and put work on top of it. And I listened to it like a podcast. And beyond that, I mean, it was, it was cool though, you know, and you know, now if you want, you just go there and watch the panels now, it's not like, they were live and you missed them. Now they, right. they're all up there and you can stream them whenever you want. Um, so, but um, back to the point of how Star Trek is, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Discovery. Um, you know, that show, I got, I got into it really quick. Um, I certainly got into Discovery way quicker than I did Next Generation. Um, oh, yeah. Next Generation took until like the third season before it really got good. Yeah, see, like I was saying about Discovery, Discovery was plot-driven, but I was interested in the story. And then season two is where I really started liking it. Yeah, and then, you know, but right, because then they also, they bring in Spock and and Pike, who's kind of like a proto-Kirk. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, You're right, being as a Strange New Worlds, you know, season zero, um, I am really looking forward to that, especially when they explain the the formula they're going to be using for the show. Yep. Um, and and it, it makes sense to me now at the time during season two, I was really pissed that they didn't get Bruce Greenwood and Zachary Kinto. And I'm like, really? What's Zachary Kinto? Like, they're both doing TV. Like, Bruce Greenwood did the, the last season of Mad Men. Zachary Kinto's doing that in Osferatu. And I'm like, they're not too big for TV. And it was the same problem I had with Legion was uh, when they finally introduced Professor X. I'm like, it's not Patrick Stewart. It's not James Zetback. McAvoy it's a third guy and now I think I'm just used to be being like all right we're going to recast whoever we're going to recast and if they're good like Anson Mount is as good as Bruce Greenwood oh he's great yeah and then um the the thing too but but he's also they're saying he's a younger uh Pike just like it's a younger Spock right and that's and that's the thing I had to do in my head I was like well Bruce Greenwood's about that age I was like no that first J.J. Abrams movie was 10 years ago he was that age 10 years ago. Right. And that was part of the conversation I had in my head when they told me Enterprise was 20 years old. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Uh, then, although I could see, uh, I'm going to be watching Strange New Worlds and see when they start breaking the rules of Star Trek, which they will. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say this, I'm sorry. In all due respect, I know the guy is successful. But uh, when Akiva Goldsman is in, in, involved with something, yeah. I'm like, oh. Ah. I give him credit for one thing. Uh, Batman Forever. That's it. I can't watch Batman Forever anymore because all signs in Batman Forever point to Batman and Robin. Everything I, every, whenever I watch Batman Forever, I'm like, oh yeah, this thing's going to get worse in the next movie. It did it. Well, I put that on... Um, on, on, um, on um, Schumacher? Yeah, but Goldsman had a run in the late 90s that was just not great. I mean, he did the Lost in Space movie with Gary Oldman. 
Well, that, now that Lost in Space movie, I remember, and I saw, I remember when, that was like one of the first movies I saw of his where he had sole screen credit. Because like yeah. Batman Forever, he was a co-writer on that one. Yeah. But yeah. he didn't, he wasn't sole screenwriter on until Batman and Robin. Right. Um, Lost in Space, he was sole screenwriter. I was actually like kind of jazzed. Oh yeah, this would be pretty cool. And um, when Lost in Space, I thought the first half of the movie was actually pretty cool. And then the second half, it was like they took two episodes of a show and like stuck them together to make a movie. And then we're going, okay, now this is getting stupid. Like the second half just got really campy. Like the first half seemed to take itself very seriously. Mm-hmm. And then the second half, not at all. At that point, I was like, okay, this is, this is, this is a mess. And since then, yes, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm always leery of Akiva Goldsman. I'm leery too, but I feel like he had a hand in Picard and I just loved Picard. I know it was really Michael Chabon's show and Michael Chabon's not coming back for season two, but I'm still excited. But I'm like, because Akiva Goldsman has been in this um, Alex Kurtzman umbrella of writers, I think it'll be okay. Like, I don't think anybody's really going to spin off into something crazy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But then you look at like the episodes of Picard where Akiva Goldsman was the sole writer on them. And they're going, oh, yeah, this feels like something he wrote. And then you can also really feel the, 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 the influence that Patrick Stewart has, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You can tell that he really, uh, he really uh, has a lot of input as to where the story goes and where the character's going and so on. Um, which is something that I discovered he did in the movies too, which is why those last few movies really sucked. So, oh, the yeah. next generation movies, yeah. And he has said, I talked about this before, was doing Logan made him realize that doing Professor X that much older would change him as a character, and that's why he got interested in Picard because he always said never. He was like Sean Connery, yeah. Until he- but I think, yeah, but, but I've been watching Picard, like, as I, I started rewatching the episodes, I'm like, as well as watching, like, the old Next Gen stuff, I started going back to watching select Next Gen episodes and seeing, you know, here's the thing. We do hold those episodes quite highly and we revere them, I think, deservedly so. But when you watch some of them now, even some of the better ones, they just don't hold up. Not just as far as the, the, the special effects, but also the thema- thematics of it. Like um, the episode where they're relocating the Native Americans and uh, they have to relocate them to a new Oh, planet. yeah, that's a late one. That's a late one. And, and he's, he's talking about um, uh, Picard is called, referring to them as uh, North American Indians. I'm like, okay, this is a 24. 20- fourth century i don't think we would call them that but we don't we call did. them that now we did so. in the 20th well it's it uh as we're watching this we're on zoom with each other and it's getting dark and i can't see you anymore and that tells me <laughs> we're about a time uh how how can we follow you elliot uh you can follow me uh, right now best place to find me would be on facebook if you want to go to my um, personal Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash Elliot.Serrano. Uh, you can also go to my uh, geek-centered geek media page, King of Geeks Chicago. And then um, if you feel like hitting me up on Twitter, at uh, Elliot Serrano is fine. But Twitter is a dumpster fire. And uh, I, re- I don't go on there very much just to check in on things and see what's going on. When I retweet this particular episode of the podcast, that you'll find me then. If you want to follow me, I'm at Not On My Book on Instagram and on Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash caffeinatedcomics, where we post all the news. And if you want to listen to the show every week, if you're not subscribed, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or just go to radiomisfits.com and click on the Lifestyle tab, and you can see episodes for years and years and years. Happy quarantining. We'll talk to you next week.